Way too many first responders are struggling with their fitness, health, and body goals, but you're not alone in that fight. I'm Ted with Fit Responder and with 11 years experience in law enforcement, as well as being a fitness coach for over 15 years myself. I've created some free resources as well as one-to-one professional fitness coaching for first responders. So I want you to check us out, fitresponder.com, or look us up on Instagram at fit.responder. That's fit period responder. And let's see you there. Chat soon. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Stop beating up your expensive sunglasses on the job. Hey, I'm Mike, founder of Frontline Optics, a sunglasses brand based out of San Diego designed for first responders. While working for the fire department, I was constantly breaking and scratching my expensive designer sunglasses at work. I knew there had to be a better way, and the idea for Frontline Optics was born. So what makes us different? We know these shades are going to get beat up, which is why we offer a no-questions-asked replacement program to cover lost or damaged sunglasses. When the time comes to get yours replaced, all you'll need to do is cover a $12 service fee, and we'll ship a brand new pair to your door, no questions asked. Additionally, a portion of all sales is donated to the First Responders Children's Foundation, supporting the loved ones left behind by our brothers and sisters who gave the ultimate sacrifice and service to their communities. All our glasses are polarized, and we offer free shipping and returns so you can try them risk-free. Not enough? We have Z87 styles available, and they're all at a price of $58 or less. Check us out, frontlineoptics.com or on Instagram at, at @frontlineoptics. Use discount code PMPM15 for 15% off. Now enjoy your podcast brought to you by Frontline Optics, sunglasses designed with the frontline in mind. The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this Poorly Made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a crown vic. Oh, hey there. Now joining the podcast, I have a first time, long time. I have Dixon the ass. How are you, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. We'll, we'll get into everything like we do. This is a big podcast. Uh, lots to get into. This is this is this is a uh, the last podcast of the year. Now I realize when this comes out, it's January, but for me, this is kind of a big a big milestone. It's the last podcast I'm recording in 2023. It's been kind of a wild year, so I I I fully expect you to end it with a bang. No pressure. All right. We'll try our best. None at all. <laughs> um, I, I want to start here before we really get to know you. Dixon the ass. Can you tell them the story that you told me about how you came up with that name? Because that was fucking awesome. Yeah. So at the start of my my career, uh, I worked at a at a regional jail that housed about a thousand inmates. Uh, and there was one day I was helping with the laundry crew, and the inmates would toss their bags outside their cells and they had little numbers on them 
well, to easily identify them, they would write like silly names. And so one of the funniest ones that stuck out to me was Dixon Diaz. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple other good ones like Chase Alcox and Sharon Peters and a couple other ones like that. But Dixon Diaz was probably my favorite. Classic. It, it, it kind of reminds me of the, I don't know if they still do it on the Simpsons, but when Bart would call Moe's, uh, you know, it's jock, jock strap there. You know, shit like that it's fucking <laughs> yeah. cracks me up. So, Dixon, you're uh, you're drinking a little bit tonight, right? What do you got on tap? Well, for the special occasion, especially since it's the last podcast of the year, I uh, stopped by the local grocery store and picked up some Yingling in honor of you. In honor of me. <laughs> I usually reserve that for the Crown Vic, but Yingling and Crown Vic, I mean, both <laughs> classics. Right, they kind of go hand in hand. I wasn't going to drink it. tonight, but I'm a man of my word. I'm like Abraham Lincoln. I've never told a lie except for all the <laughs> lies I've already told. Right, but right. Uh, besides all those, never lied. I am also going to drink because you asked me to, and I've got that. So uh, I Good have boy. the fancy drink that uh, Tony sent me that I still cannot pronounce. I got a little bit of that with some Diet Coke, so it's healthy. And then I also, too, sir, I have a yingling. Now, it's a yingling mm-hmm. flight. But it's still Yingling, so it counts. You know, when I was in there today, I saw Yingling Light, and I was like, hmm, should I try that? And I said, nah, I better not. I better just stick to the real deal. Well, okay, so Flight is like the ultralight. It's based, I don't know, I guess it's their version. So of it's like water? Globe. It's actually gotcha. not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. Calm down. It's actually quite delicious. Uh, light, Yingling Light, I like it. I like it. See, I'm a fatty. You know, well, I'm a reforming fatty. I get a little ways to go. I need to lose a little more weight before I feel more comfortable, you know, getting the full flavored beers. But I, I was just fucking thinking about it, how how life is a little bit cruel. I've waited my entire adult life to live somewhere near Yingling. And now I do. I could get Yingling every fucking day if I wanted to. But I'm not a D-Gen anymore. I don't drink <laughs> You're fancy. as much as I used to. And I, you know, I go into the store and I just have to look at it. Right. <sighs> no, it's very rare that we have beer in the fridge that my wife doesn't drink. So, um, you know, with this being a special occasion, uh, I had to go big and get the 24 packs. So then that way it'll last me the rest of the next couple of weeks. I was going to say, if you get through the 24 in the podcast, that would be pretty fucking impressive. <laughs> I'd be fucking, I would be super I impressed I would be impressed. <laughs> we would have the, the the podcast that just dropped uh, where he got a little sloppy there at the end. That would oh, be Oh, God. Me. That was good. That was, <laughs> I enjoyed that. That was a good time. So let's let's get to know you a little bit, Dixon Diaz. Yeah, sure. So I graduated college, um, and then my first job, this was back when, Cops were not retiring, weren't weren't getting out of the job. Um, pretty much the only place that I could find was a regional jail in the area. Um, I stayed there for about three years. Um, shortly after that, I got on with a, I guess, medium-sized university uh, police department that sent me through grade school. Um, I was there for probably about four years before I went to a little bit bigger of a university. Um, I worked there for about two years and then my wife and I made a pretty big move, um, up the state a little ways, uh, to where I'm at a town now. I'm actually a patrol sergeant there. 
So for the kids out there, just to protect him a little bit, we're going to not give away, you know, what state he was in. But let's let's listen to the man's voice. We know that there's a certain part of the country Uh, talking to you a little (laughs) bit. I I picked up a little scotchy in there like you kind of have you you guys' voices are different, but I I feel like there is some similarities. There is no way you you guys talk. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably I don't know which county Scotch is in. Uh but yeah, I'm I'm pretty close to him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The, so there it is. You you have a unique experience and I want to dive into that because I talked the campus thing before. Um Hey, can you hear me okay? Yeah, it it kind of got a little bit more high pitched and more like digital, I guess. Okay, what about now? Yeah, that's better. Dude, I th- <laughs> I think my mic is dying. Uh, <laughs> so the other day, this is, I'll probably keep this in because who cares? I can do whatever I want. But <laughs> so the last podcast I recorded, which was the New Year's Eve one, I kept like having to plug it in and out and all kinds of shit to get it to work. Mm. And today nothing happened. And I was like, oh, cool. It's it's working. Whatever, it's whatever. <laughs> it's fixed. Apparently it's not. So... <laughs> Hopefully we can get through the podcast. I still have the old mic from the uh, the first episode, <laughs> so if we oh, we gotta don't. do that, please don't. Um, we'll just reschedule this, and I'll send you a mic. We'll make oh, it. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Please, please buy lots of stuff so I can buy a new mic. But apparently it's working again. It must have got bumped just enough where it didn't want to work. Uh, but anyway, you you have a you have a, like a unique experience with you know working the jail at universities and now for a city, which I, I is definitely something I want to dive into because right. uh, I think you've probably seen some interesting things and done some inter- interesting things in your career. But let's talk about why you got into law enforcement. Uh, Sure. So I was in high school, I guess about the time of the recession. Uh, I thought business was where I wanted to go because I wasn't that smart. Uh, um, and business is always easy, at least that's what I tell myself. Um, then the recession hit and I was like, man, like there's no way I'm going to be able to find a job or, you know, seeing what it was doing to jobs uh, across the country and the housing market and this and that. And I was like, man, you know, I, I need to find something different. I need to find something that I think I would like more, uh, something where I wouldn't be stuck behind a desk all day. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of about the time that I did my first ride along. Uh so I did my first ride along and I just absolutely fell in love with it. You know, the, the driving fast and carrying guns and uh, just talking with so many different calibers of people. Um, that, that's kind of what piqued my interest into law enforcement. Um, I think throughout high school and probably even college, there were probably eight or nine different departments that I had done ride alongs with uh, because, you know, I, I'm an idiot and, studied criminal justice in college. Uh, so now I have absolutely nothing to fall back on. Um, but I wanted to see kind of like how different areas differed and what kind of clientele you were working with. So I think that by doing ride alongs in different, different departments and different areas, uh, in towns and counties across the state of men, um, it definitely helped me kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my career. Um, so that, that's kind of how all that started. So 
I want to probably dive into everything you did, but I, I had a question come up on the New Year's Eve podcast, which isn't out yet, obviously. Well, it is out, but for you, it's not out, so you haven't heard it. But the guy was talking about, or, or he was asking, rather, if there's different cultures between agencies. You know, the way he asked was like, in the same area, is the sheriff department, are they different from the city cops? And the way I interpreted that question was like the culture. My perception is like every police department has its own culture. Now you've worked for the jail and then three different police departments. What's your thoughts on that? Are the cultures all different? Some of it the same? What's your take think, on that? I think it really just depends on the size of the agency. Um, when I worked at the jail, um, you know, we would run probably anywhere between 20 to 30 on a shift to cover all the pods and stuff. Um, my first road agency was like a sergeant and two on a shift. Um, my, my second road agency was, uh, I think up to nine on a shift. So what I noticed with like the jail was everybody's a butter, a buddy fucker. Um, you know, people were out to move up in whatever way that they could, um, as opposed to like the smaller agencies, uh, which is like where I'm at now, where it seems more tight knit and more like a family type aspect. I mean, you still have the high school drama, the, the bullshit where everybody's kind of ragging everybody. Um, but what I noticed with my second road agency that was a little bit bigger is that within the nine-person shift, you had clicks of like two or three. You know, you had two or three people that were very close, um, you know, would, would do stuff for one another. But if you were outside that click, you may not get that same like, oh, yeah, I got this call for you. You know, I'll cover this or I'll cover that. Um, you know, I know you're busy with this many reports. Like, I've, I've got this one. Um, so I've noticed kind of with like the bigger agencies, um it's just kind of like clicked up a little bit. Um, and then with the smaller ones, it's kind of like all hands on deck. Like, you know, we're looking out for each other, uh, taking care of one another. Um, so it, that, that's kind of how it differs. I don't, I don't know as far as like working for a sheriff's office, um, where it's just kind of like every man for himself, uh, the County that I'm in now, um, they have, pretty much one for each area that has a town. So the, the deputy that would be on our end would cover um, just outside of town limits on our end and another town that doesn't have a night shift police department. Um, so I would imagine that there it, it's just a little bit different where you're kind of responsible for your own thing and that's all you've got. Yeah. I, I noticed at least, you know, my perception of it, just even within the police departments, it seems like, have you know, they have different goals. You know, to me, it's like kind of based on the leadership. But you, you brought up something right. I thought was interesting with the clicks. And I kind of I kind of forgot about that. I forgot about how clicky a shift can be. Oh, yeah. It really can be sort of clicky where, you know, maybe the guys get along a little bit. But, you know, there, there's basically like. All right, these guys hang out, these guys hang out, these guys hang out. And that's maybe there's a little bit of anger intermingling, but like at least where I work, 
there there were dudes that you could count on to help you out. Like if you were down a bunch of paper, they would come and, and kind of save the day and take a call for you. So you're not like down six reports instead of five reports. But fuck, man, a lot of those dudes, they didn't give a fuck. Oh, they yeah. didn't give well, a shit about you. And that's kind of the way it was at the smaller agencies, too, was like my, my first college that I worked at. You know, you would have a sergeant and maybe one, maybe two uh, working on a shift. And, you know, your sergeant may not leave the police department for the entire night. You know, you may have a senior guy that is retired on duty that even if you're searching a dorm room or a vehicle, you know, they may call you and say, hey, are you good? You're like, well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to clear up here shortly. Um, but they may not even leave the police department. Um, I think the agency that I'm at now, um, you know, I'm the supervisor and I've got one and a midship guy. Um, but I think we all work really well together. And, you know, he, he knows that I'm not going to be tied up on a DUI for a couple hours, but I'm also not going to let him sink and, and a lot of paperwork, you know, wh whatever I can do. I feel like as a supervisor, you know, you're responsible for supporting your people and being able to be available and do this and that. Um, but I've definitely worked at agencies where that's not the case. Let's dive into the jail. Not too much because, we, yeah. you know, we've done the jail episodes, but are you kind of the opinion that basically everybody else has had about working in the jail? It's like the worst fucking thing ever. Yeah, I mean, it's the worst. So the way I describe it is it's the best, worst job I've ever had in my entire life. Um, some of the shit that you see in there is so funny. Um, I had an absolute blast. You know, there would be nights where, uh, of course, nights where the power would go out and we would lock the inmates down early. This is a night that we would have four or five people working in the pods that you know are the blocks that we have like six pods in. Um, but any other night, you know, you'd be lucky to have uh, a housing officer and, and two rovers. Um, night shift is definitely the play for working at a jail or prison. Um, you don't have the administration breathing down your neck. Um, I worked night shift for about two years, which was permanent nights before making the transition to days for a short period of time before doing transport. Um, and I mean, it was... It, it was a lot of fun until you got to day shift and then you had the administration watching cameras and calling to know why this inmate's doing this and that. And I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you come down here and ask him? Like, you know, he's not bothering us. You know, they're, they're respecting what we tell them to do. And we're not really giving them a hard time over like petty shit. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but I, I definitely think that working at a jail definitely helped as far as like the communication and trying to get like, especially being so young. Um, and like, that was my first experience kind of dealing with toady people. Um, and you know, not all of them were toadies. Uh, some of them were decent dudes that did just mess up or fell back in with the wrong crowd or, you know, started using again. Uh, but you could definitely cut up and have a good time. But, you know, they would know once they got to know you kind of like what your boundaries were and like what to expect of you. Um, and they would respect that for the most part. Now, to go back, because uh, I had to Google a word you just said. Did you say toady, like the cousin of a frog? 
toady. Yeah, yeah. So that's like uh, I guess the slang word for like uh, crackheads or like shitty people or. <laughs> yeah. So here, uh, the definite the definition on Google is a person who tries to please someone in order to gain a personal advantage, and the synonym synonyms is a uh, crawler, lackey, uh, and then there's a uh, apple polisher, a bootlicker. I just wanted to say bootlicker because everybody knows that's that's the favorite. Yeah, bootlickers, poster <laughs> um, sniffers. Yeah. So I suppose different things have different meanings other places. I just you know. Y'all in, in certain parts of the country have your own language. So I just I wanted right. to make sure I got the translation right. Yeah, Toady is like more or less that three AM Buick Lesaber driving down the road without a taillight that you just know is gonna be a good one. You know, it always amazes me when you see some of those old cars still on the road, right? You got the Lesabers. Oh, yeah. What did I see the other day where I was just like uh, one of those old Oldsmobile, uh, the boxy ones. You know which ones I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, can't. Uh, is that the 88 maybe? I'm trying uh, to think of the model of it. No, uh, the Cutlass. The Cutlass. Yes. Yeah, I saw a fucking Cutlass on the road. And I was like, this thing's like a 19, like 88 Cutlass. It's fucking rusted out, but it's still fucking going, man. There's I mean, still fucking like cr- cracking mess in there somewhere. See, <laughs> when you see the vehicles... With like fifteen different colors of paint, like you know, it's going to be a decent one. Yeah, but it's always like user amounts. It's never, it's never yeah. like a you know transportation, but or distribution or anything like that. Every once in a while, you get one of those, but you know they're always good stops. Um, so you said you had lots of good stories in the jail. Are there any that you can share here that won't dox you? Um. <sighs> trying to think i mean it, a lot of it was just silly shit um you know you would have the inmates like especially in the open dorms um they would take soap bars like bars of soap and wax down the stairs and then get in their property boxes and ride down and see how far <laughs> they could go and who could get the furthest are you fucking kidding me that's awesome. <laughs> no i'm serious yeah uh you know it, even if it was like uh you know, like the showers and direct supervision pods where it was just you and like somewhere between 40 to 60 inmates, um, you know, they would stand on the rails and go and, you know, Peter Hawker and look down in the showers and try to see the other guy's dicks. Um, (laughs) One of my favorite ones, and this will probably get you canceled, but I don't care. We had a tranny that was a male going to female so, you know, she had double D's and like curled hair and like her eyebrows done and like a 12 inch dick. Um, <laughs> so for some reason, they thought it would make like be a great idea to be like, you know what, we're going to we're going to make him a trustee. We're going to put him, you know, he's already in the male's pod. We'll make him a trustee. We'll put him we'll put him on the shower crew. So I'm working a direct supervision pod one day um, and the shower crew comes in, you know, they know, Hey, shower crew coming in. Uh, they come in, clean the showers. Well, here comes, uh, said inmate and, you know, huge tits, like nice tits, bro. Um, and normally during the day, most of the inmates would like sleep. Well, once they saw her, like everybody flocked downstairs and like, you know, there's, there's probably like 
40 guys just like sitting around the table trying to holler at this at this uh tranny cleaning the showers and uh they were like damn girl you know like what's your name what's your name like you know what do you they, they let a girl up here and she was like well my name's jojo but i think i'm regularly required by law to tell you that my real name is joseph <laughs> <laughs> and they was all like damn and like half of them went back upstairs, but you still had like three or four time to holler uh, and just see what was up. <laughs> so that was probably one of my favorite stories uh, with that inmate. Um, so this is a weird but, thing to to focus on on this story. But so you let off with a double D's and then a twelve inch dick, right? Right. Not every. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's a waste, right? Like. Not everyone's born gifted like that, and you're going to chop that fucking hammered off? What the hell's wrong with you, man? Oh, okay, so there's a lot of waste in there. Uh, we had an inmate that was like four foot eleven, and I was working like G-Sig, which would be like the the, segre- the punitive segregation pod. Um, and, and down there, you know, like they couldn't have books, they couldn't have commissary, they couldn't have anything. Um, they would get their three meals a day. And the only thing that they could do was make phone calls in their hour out, walk around the gym and take a shower. So I'm feeding lunch trays down there one day. And a guy that I'd started with was the Rover. And he was like, so we would feed together. Well, we get to this inmate cell and he's like, Hey, how about if, how about you give me an extra tray? If I got 13 inches, I was (laughs) like, man, get out of here. I said, I'm not. You know, the skinny ass, like short little white dude. I was like, I'm not, no, I, you know, I don't have the patience. I, I'm just, uh, no. Well, my buddy, we'll call him, we'll call him Chase Alcox. He was like, I'll give you an extra tray. <laughs> like, All right. Well, I'm going around the corner and finish feeding. Uh, come back over there when you're done. And, uh, so I, I make it around the corner right here. God damn, Dixon, I'm going to need another tray. <laughs> What the fuck? I was like, oh my God. Like, no. <laughs> I said, this is on you. Uh, but you know, yeah. I... <laughs> we're, we're down a, a weird, a weird line of uh, storytelling here, but I guess we're going to oh, continue yeah. it. I hooked a dude up for a pretty serious crime. And I think he. I don't know. I don't remember the policy when we brought him to the jail, but there's some criteria where if they met this criteria, then they had to get a strip search, which is not something we would do, but the jailers would do, but we'd stand outside of the room in case they found something. Right. Yeah. And the, the jailer comes out like he'd fucking seen a ghost. And I'm like, dude, what is wrong with you? And he's like, that guy had the biggest fucking dick I've ever seen. reminds me there was a the u.s marshals had brought a guy in one time and you know like as, as a young kid like you know this is my first big job and like i finally made it into booking where you know we're like fighting pretty regularly with the drunk people coming in and the marshals bring this guy in and they were like in blue jeans and cowboy boots and like a, a t-shirt and like their plate carrier with all the ar mags and everything and they bring in this big jack dude and so I'm thinking, like, oh, shit, you know, like, this has got to be, like, some hardened-ass criminal. Uh, and so we take him and strip-search him. 
And I swear to God, it's the smallest cock I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> well, that's from the steroids, man. It Doesn't has shrink to be. your balls. It has to be. I, I mean, I wouldn't know personally. Allegedly. But I've heard from somebody. <laughs> All right. Um, our conversation has is, is gotten a little a little oh. homoerotic, and we should probably it move is. on, unless you have another story. <laughs> but I was going to bring <laughs> up the... Uh, that's some butts, um, baby. <laughs> oh, shit. What was I going to bring up? We had a, another thing I was going to ask you about in the jail, but now I've been thinking about cock too long. I can't fucking remember. Um, shit. It was good. It was a good question. But I'm a shitty podcaster, so I guess it's gone forever. If I think of it, I'm sure it'll come up. We'll see. We were talking about wiener. More wiener. Big wieners. Trays for wieners. No. Trans wieners. Gone. Trans wiener. Oh, that's. Thanks, man. You you helped me remember. Yeah, you're welcome uh, for my cervix. Yes, gay for the stay. That's a real thing, right? It absolutely is. Um, so, <laughs> I <laughs> I ended up going to school with this guy uh, in high school. Uh, he was on probation. Ended up getting having like 14 years over his head to serve. Um, so he was in the mindset of gay for the stay. Uh, well, I guess after about a year of being in there, uh, he finally makes it through court and they end up getting them time served and putting them back on super secret squirrel probation. Uh, so of course, you know, like knowing the guy and knowing what he had been partaking in, uh, over the last year, uh, I definitely give him a lot of shit about getting his pee-pee sucked on by another inmate. <laughs> you know, all right. But it's a real here's, thing. Here's my rant. Look, I'm married, okay? Mm-hmm. So I've gone – we're getting a little personal here. <laughs> but we're all, we're all married dudes here. You know how that goes, right? You may right. go – you may have a dry spell every once in a while, right? Um. Not that dry. <laughs> but I just don't – I feel like even if I was facing, like, years in jail, I just – I don't think I could do that. No, I, absolutely I don't not. think I could do it. I just jerk off, man. It's fine. You know what I mean? Like, But you got to think, too, while you're in there jerking off, there's others – there's also 60 other guys watching you. <laughs> I mean, I would find a, a private place to do it. Yeah. Maybe. All right. This this is a conversation <laughs> that's gotten strange. I have one more more question about jails that I don't know if yeah. I've ever asked, but just out of curiosity. So, as a male jailer, you can only be in male pods, right? Or no? Yes, unless there's some kind of emergency. Um, okay. You know, especially right now with staffing issues, and I'm sure it's all over the United States and not just in my area. Um, you know. When I worked at the jail, it was specifically only medical emergencies or like an attempted suicide um, or the staffing was just so low that you had to be in a female pod. And even at that, it was the the female pods were on lockdown while you were in there. Um, you know, you weren't given keys to be able to access the doors. Um, it was strictly like you do your two rounds and for that hour and, and that's it. 
So when you were uh, at the jail, did you ever consider making that like a career or were you kind of hopping at the first opportunity to get on the road somewhere? I don't know if it's something that I could have done for 20 years. Uh, I, there was a handful of people there that were within five years when I left. Um, but the administration when I was there was just, it was not good. Um, you know, I'd heard stories of, and it, and it kind of made me hesitant on putting in other places about like when police departments would call over for a reference or a background check and they would give them a, a bad reference or tell them things that weren't true. Um, you know, it was, it was not the inmates. It wasn't the people that we worked with. Um, but more or less the people that we worked for that pushed so many people away, just the nitpicking over little things, you know, they would spend the eight hours that they were there watching cameras and just trying to find little stuff to bitch about, uh, mm -hmm. rather than let us do what we needed to do to, in order to make the jail operate. So, I, I think potentially with the right administration, it could definitely be a 20-year job. Um, but with the administration that I worked under, it, it definitely, even three years was, was too long. So that's interesting that you say that with a good administration that you could make it through. I, Because there, you know, I'll just be frank. There's a, a jail or a few jails actually in, in my area where I'm like, huh, maybe. Maybe I could try that, but the thought of being in jail basically for half my week sounds kind of shitty. And so it I, is. Like, eh, I don't really want to do that. But you know, it's decent paycheck. You know, that job's right. not going away. It's a very stable career kind of thing. The thing is, is like once you've been on the road and have the freedom to, you know, if you want to go to Seven Eleven and get a cup of coffee, or go here for lunch, or you know, in between calls you know, go do this or, you know, walk through somewhere like you don't have that freedom in jail. It's, you know, you get your 30 minute break and your 15 minute break and you're expected to be back within that 15 minutes or within that 30 minutes. Yeah. You know, that's a, a great thing about law enforcement that, you know, I, I think and rightfully so, there's a lot of things to pick at with the job, but fuck, do you have a lot of freedom? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Holy fuck, do you have a lot of freedom? And that's, I've worked regular jobs before. You know, you get your half hour break, 15 minute break, that's fucking it. Where if you need to decompress after a call, not a big deal. Not a big deal at all. You know, right. You, just take a couple extra minutes to clear up and just chill out for a minute or finish your paperwork or do whatever you need to do. But in the jail setting, it's like, it's nonstop. Like you're monitoring inmates. And the administration is monitoring you. So the road definitely has a lot more freedom, um, which makes it a lot, I guess, easier to work for. So your first two jobs on the road were at a campus. Right. Were you specifically looking to go to the campus or that was kind of the first thing is like the. You basically took the first job you could get, which is, I think, what a lot of people do. Yeah, it was definitely the first job that I that I found, um, you know, where I'm at. You could put yourself through an academy, and it's not one of those bullshit college academies. <clears throat> um, Kobe! <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, but you could pay the 
$5,500 or whatever it is to put yourself through, or you can find a department to put you through. Um, and so, you know, we had a lot of guys from the jail that were cashing out their retirement, uh, the 10 years that they had worked there to be able to put themselves through road school. Um, and I just, you know, at the time I couldn't do it. You know, we already had our first child. Um, I couldn't afford to not only pay for the Academy, but pay myself while I was going through the Academy. Uh, um, so the first one that popped up, um, was actually where I graduated college from and I took it. Um, and I think that it was, it was a good experience. Um, but you know, when you, when you're under a contract and you feel stuck somewhere, it definitely skews your opinion on where you're working. So is that one of those things you had to work there so long? Right. I think or they would make you pay for the Academy type deal. Right. And, and, you know, like I said, you may pay $5,500 or whatever to put yourself through Academy, but they break it down as in like, you know, they're paying, they're paying $10,000 a year to send however many through Academy. And then you got uniform expenses, vehicle expenses, you know, ammo while you're in the Academy, uh, this and that. So, you know, what could have potentially been a $5,500 and whatever I could pay myself um, versus the $25,000 is what I think it, it ended up being. Um, so over the two years, you know, if I was to leave after the first year, then I would owe half of that. Um, they would kind of prorate it based off of your, your service time. I actually, I don't know about you. You may have a different opinion. I don't have a big problem with departments doing that. No, I mean, I don't either. I think that, you know, especially where I stayed, uh, a couple of years after my contract had ended, um, you know, and, and especially seeing the turnover that happened just while I was there during my four years, um, you know, like I, I understand from the police department's perspective of like why they make people sign contracts. Um, but I think two years was probably a good time. Uh, it gives you enough time to kind of learn the basics and like feel comfortable um, answering some calls um, but I think now they've moved to like three-year contracts, uh, just about anywhere around, around my area. You know, I don't know if, uh, you remember this or if it was like this in your part of the country, but when I first, you know, became old enough to be a cop, not when I started working, but before, you know, I, I kind of look around and say, all right, well, who's hiring? And a lot of agencies would say hey we're hiring but for certified only you got to be yes. certified or we don't want to fucking do have anything to do with you and it was like a unicorn if you could find an agency that would take you know brand new people and colorado was set up in such a way where you could go to like a you could pay and put yourself through an academy and a lot of people did it um, you know, the bigger Metro agencies, they had their own academies, but they were fucking hard to get hired at. And yeah. so a lot of guys would, you know, guys and gals would put themselves through, get hired on wherever, and then, you know, then go work at their dream department where now, fuck man, you got a pulse. <laughs> You're fucking in. Let's go. Right. Well, and there were agencies within that academy that like you would never see them put anybody through, you know, they, they may snag somebody if, if they were doing well academically and physically, 
towards the end of the academy. But, you know, typically, uh, at least around the time that, that I went to through basic road school, you know, you weren't having people leave departments. You know, you were going to testings and, and fighting with 100 other applicants for one spot. Um, so it was kind of like if you got picked somewhere, like that's where you're going. You're not waiting and seeing who else is going to offer you a position. You take it. And then that way you can get into your next, to the next road school. Um, you know, there was a lot of agencies that would do certified only. Um, but even then it was hard to get people to jump ship and leave one department and go to a new one. But it seems like now anymore, you know, there's less and less, uh, people putting themselves through and a lot more agencies that would never send anybody through putting putting officers through just because oh, they yeah. need to fill positions. Oh yeah. I've seen a lot of that, which, you know, we're like sounding like boomers, you know, like, Oh, back in my day, <laughs> you know, we, my had day. To, we had to go to the Academy and it was uphill both ways in the snow and you know, all that shit. But you know, if you're a young guy now or young gal or old guy or old gal that are kind of thinking about getting in, this may be a good time for you. Oh, absolutely. And I you mean, know, it's, it's like I've heard before you say on your podcast, it's a ticket to the greatest show on earth. You know, it really is. You're going to have great days and you're going to have bad days. Uh, you're going to have days where you feel like this isn't, I'm not meant for this. And then you're going to have that one day that happens so randomly. That's like, this is why I do it. And, and those days that happen few and far between are the reason that why you're going to stay. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to the podcast. Oh, hey there. It's me. I just want to let you guys know about something. On my link tree, I have links to all your favorite poorly made things. I'm going to have a link specifically to the coins and patches with Ghost Patch, my merch with Spring, and a couple other things. We're going to have Fit Responder on there. We're going to have Officer Privacy on there. And of course, we're going to have RTI Training. If you're going to go sign up for class through RTI Training, use the link in my link tree and it helps me out a little bit and they know that I sent you. Check out my link tree for all things poorly made. I'll be updating it as new things come up. Going forward, the link should be on the description of every podcast. And of course, uh, find it on my profile on Facebook and Instagram under Poorly Made Police Memes. Now, back to the podcast. All right, so... After the jail, you go to the uh, the campus. Tell us about an average day for a cop on an American college campus. Sure. So uh, I guess depending on if you're on day shift or night shift, um, if you're on day shift, you know, you're generally not going to have a whole lot in the mornings. Um, that would be the time that I would normally run traffic. Um, you may have a couple calls for service. Um Generally, if you had a call for service, it was a nothing burger. Um, you may take that time to do like foot patrols. Um, one thing that colleges are huge on is walking through academic and residential buildings. Um, so typically when I was on day shift, because we rotated every couple months on days and nights, um, I would take the mornings to walk through whatever buildings I needed to walk through. Um and then generally, you know, you might make it to lunch and make it through an actual lunch without being interrupted. Um, 
and then typically starting around one or two o'clock is when you would start getting more and more calls for services classes let out um you would have at least at both campuses that i worked at um we would have a bank escort um at my bigger school that started typically about nine o'clock and that was a nine to twelve or one o'clock type deal um where you're going to you know anywhere between nine and maybe 16 different buildings um and just picking up money which personally i i don't think that we should be doing anyway no um, i i'm like kind of like Ooh, that yeah sounds like and, a bad idea and then like especially at the bigger university where we had so many buildings um you know some of them went to one bank and some of them went to another bank um they did kind of have it down to a science of like you know it was marked which bags go to which bank um but at my smaller college that i worked at uh it hit it like three o'clock every day they would call over uh say hey the bank the bank deposit's ready to be picked up um you would drive to the place walk up like 17 flights of stairs to to go get this one little bag take it to the bank drop it off and they would give you an empty bag and you would have to drive back uh take it upstairs um and drop it back off. So there was a lot of stuff that I think that we shouldn't have been involved in, um, that we ended up doing anyway. Uh, that sounds like, I mean, I don't know how much money is involved, but it, it sounds like, a, like they should have fucking Brinks do it or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Well, and that's, it's one of those things like, you know, if, if something like, let's say that one of the offices was off on their money, and I'm the last person that touched the bag. Like I always kept my body camera on and that's, and that's kind of one of those things, like especially transitioning from the jail to a department of having body cameras, like that would save your butt a little bit, you know, cause I could record, like I picked this money up. I took it to the bank. Whatever happened between that office and the bank is, is whatever happened. But I threw the bag in the back seat. And then once I got there, I took it into the bank and it was not tampered with. Um, so, you know, in, in, in working for a university, there's a lot of stuff that you get involved with that you shouldn't be involved with, I guess, uh, because it's the administration wants the police department to do this, 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 and this. Um, but is it a law enforcement function? No. Uh, I've always got the sense that. And, and I'm not saying this to be like disparaging or anything, but like the, these campus police departments have a lot of uh, administrative and like security guard type roles right. to fill, you know? Yeah. And and I think that that was a huge difference between like the smaller campus and the bigger campus. Um, at the smaller campus, we did a lot more security functions, such as like locking doors or opening up doors. Um and and doing parking stuff as opposed to like the bigger campus where we had security for opening doors and shutting doors. Uh, we had parking services that would take care of literally everything parking to where we wouldn't really have to worry about writing parking tickets. Um, so that helped out quite a bit. Uh, but again, you know, I, 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 it's not like I expected the, the smaller department to, have all the different resources and stuff as the bigger department. I think as a cop, 
you know, I'll, I'll equate that to like a small town. You just get kind of handed stuff that they don't really have anybody else to do. Or they're like, well, he's the cop. He can do it. That that somehow fits right. in his role. Like I remember uh, my dad worked at a place where he had to go lock the like the city park every night or something like that. You know, that was part of his thing. Because who else is going to do it? There's no, I mean, they're like, oh, well, the cops work. Well, he can fucking cops, go, yeah. you know. You know, I'm like thinking of this bank thing. I'm like, what if you get a fucking like hot call or something? You got a bunch of fucking money in your back seat or it just. I feel like there's a million things that could go wrong with that. I mean, fuck, if, if it's down to such a routine, you know, who's to say people aren't watching you, you know, to uh, knock you off and grab a couple bucks, you know? Right. And, and I mean, that's the thing. Like, And that's the thing about cops in general is we're going to find the easiest way to do stuff. So as long as we didn't have change, I was driving through that that window and handing it to the teller through the window as, as often as I could. Um, when parking services would go and collect change from the meters, like you're carrying a 70-pound bag full of coins that you have to take into the bank. And like it's such a pain in the ass. Um, but I mean, there would be times where, you know, you might get a hot call, um, some type of like domestic situation or, uh, you know, the, the smaller agency was kind of in a rougher part of the area. Um, so, you know, it wasn't uncommon to have shots fired, you know, right off campus. Um, so, you know, you may end up being halfway through your, your bank escort and getting called away to do something else. And then you're sitting here thinking like, you know, how much cash or how much money in checks is sitting in my backseat right now. Um, and so, you know, or like, do I finish the bank escort before I go do this in case, you know, they wonder if money is missing or what. Um, so it kind of puts you in, in a shitty situation, no matter which way you went. So I got to go on a rant because you brought it up. Yeah. And it's unrelated to policing, but so you brought up the, the all the change from the parking meters. I oh, yes. fucking hate paying for parking. <laughs> I fucking hate it. Now, I I sort of understand it if you're talking about like you know a, a sports event or something or a concert. I don't really like it then, but okay, I fucking hate parking meters i fucking hate it it's a public street our taxes pay for the fucking roads it's just another tax on fucking everything now i understand it's like a university it's probably private or whatever but you're milking these fucking kids so they can get their dance therapy degrees and you're gonna fucking charge them for fucking parking too it's like everything everything is fucking taxed my first car i ever fucking got when the first person bought it, they paid tax on it. And the 30 other people that bought it, they fucking paid tax on it. Every fucking gallon of fuel, taxed. Everything is fucking taxed. And that's just one more fucking thing to milk us to send the money to Ukraine. Oh, Probably not your parking to things. But I, I fucking despise. You know, you go downtown somewhere and they have the fucking parking meters. Fuck off. So here's the shitty thing about working for a university. We're essential personnel where we have to be there every day, no matter whether it rains, snows, it's 75 and sunny, whatever. But 
every year we have to buy a parking pass. What the fuck? Right. And so at my smaller agency, you know, it was maybe it was under $150. Uh, But at the larger agency, it was over $200. You know, you could buy a pass that made you park like three parking lots away and across one of the main roads for $30 a year. Or, you know, like if, if, like me personally, I was running late just about every day, trying to boot scoot and try to get to work. And so whatever was more convenient was definitely worth my time and money. Um, so, you know, there was, like I said, the bigger department, I was paying over $200 a year for a parking pass. And I had to be there whether or not, you know, like if they called me in or if I was scheduled to work. Um, and when we brought that up with the president of the university, he's like, well, I've got to buy one too. And I was like, well, we're not making $500,000 a year to, yeah. pre- to be the president of this university. You know, like we're, we're, we're barely scraping by at just over $30,000 a year to work here. Oh, and that so is it, it's, fucking it's just horrendous. A, you know, a, along with trying to serve a community that you feel like doesn't care about you. You know, adding on the extra bullshit of what comes with the university is is just enough to send you over the top. Hold on a second. You were making just over thirty a year. So I took a four thousand dollar pay cut to go from the jail to the road. And oh, then God. after my first year, I think they had done like a pay study and magically magically realized that we weren't making what we should be making. And I was making just over what I made at the jail. Uh, but to me, that that sense of freedom, like I said earlier, about going and getting coffee, or you know, being able to to have your phone and talk on the phone to your wife or your kids when you're having to work, like that was worth it to me. Oh to yeah, take that I just cut. it's still ridiculous that I don't know. It's so where where I was a cop paid like pretty decently. Right. I'm not, you know, I can't complain about the money at all. I, I actually, my first year, I took a like a slight pay cut, surprisingly, from mall security. Imagine that. I worked my first mall security job, or my first management job in a rural area, not a, a giant mall. I think I was making more than you as a campus cop. A fucking oh, cop. Sure. It's ridiculous. You know, now I know there's some agencies that pay pretty darn well, but let's, right. th- those places are very few and far between. If you want to be rich, don't be a cop. It's not going to work out unless you go to one of the big cities that has all the overtime and all that great stuff. Yeah, then you can fucking do pretty well. But you know, there's always all this talk about the police, this, the police, that, the police need to be better. Look, now I'm not, I'm not saying you're a retard or anything, but. <laughs> You're not going to get the best and brightest if you don't pay people. Now, there are some people that truly have a passion for the job and they're going to do it. You're always going to get those people. But you can get the people that have a passion for a job and are not fucking retarded if you pay them a little bit more. I'm just saying. Now, I don't want people to think I'm throwing this out like jabs at people. But let's be honest, guys and gals. I feel like uh, despite, you know, some of the dumb jokes I make on this podcast, you guys know how I feel and how I respect the job and, and all of that good stuff. 
I feel like the people that listen to this podcast have a weird sense of humor and I think feel pretty similar about the job as I do. How many conversations have we talked and discussed shitty coworkers? There's been a lot. That's how we get rid of these shitty fucking cops is money. Just saying. And I mean, that's it. Like, you know, working for the smaller campus agency, you know, they would hire people and, you know, even day one, we're like, they're not, they're not meant for this line of work. And I mean, granted, you know, the first agency that I was at, was a little rougher than the bigger school that I was at. Um, but, you know, they would hire people with not only no job experience, but no life experience either. And I think that having having the, the life experience plays just as much of a part as like having a degree or having, you know, worked somewhere for a couple of years. Um, but when you're hiring somebody that this is their first big boy or big girl job, you know, you, you can't expect for them to be, to come out of the Academy and be great cops without knowing how to talk to people or without having dealing with their own situations and their own lives. Uh, And that was a pretty big issue that we ran into was, you know, it, it sucks because you're taking a chance on somebody that could potentially be a great cop, but they don't know how to apply their own life experiences into police work yeah it's a it's a big problem and again forgive me if i've told the story before but i think it's relevant here uh and it's kind of funny because we're talking about like the clicks within the shifts but so i I was riding with one of my buddies and i i feel like something had happened but this is this is pre pre uh george floyd and all that stuff and we're looking at the the roster for that night and we're like, you know, people say, you know, all these cops are bad and stuff, and that, that's bullshit. And I was like, well, let's go down our roster. And we went down our roster, like, well, okay, well, that guy sucks. <laughs> oh, that guy sucks. Oh, he's cool. He's good. He's a good cop. Uh, if that dude applied himself, he'd be good. Yeah, he's, you know, oh, that guy sucks. Yeah, that guy sucks big time. And so as we go down this roster of like, you know, 15 dudes, there's like, you know, five dudes, including us, that we think are worth a shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> now, Part of that's me probably being a jackass, but the other side of that is, you know, we're not perfect and and no job's perfect, right? Like we've never worked anywhere where we like every single one of our coworkers, at least I right. fucking haven't. I, I mean, I, I feel like, um, a lot of my jobs are, you know, sprinkled with retards, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but, man. Uh, well, it, and that's part of it too. It's, it's like, you have to look at, you know, who's putting in the effort, you know, when I was at the, at the smaller school, you know, there weren't too many, too many officers that were making traffic stops or that would make time to make their foot patrols. You know, it was like, this is easy money. I know what they expect of me and I could do the bare minimum to get away with it. But if you had somebody that really wanted to be there and really wanted to be a change and, 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 you know, enforce the law and, and do this and that, like they were one of the good guys, you know, I'm not saying that the other people weren't, weren't good cops, but I think that working for a university and depending on what the school administration wants and what the police chief wants and what they're willing to let 
let go and let you get away with, like you have to hold your people accountable. You know, even if they're if they're doing everything right and not being a bad cop, you know, you're still expected to enforce the law and do cop shit. But I think it got to the point, uh, especially after Ferguson, where, you know, cops weren't wanting to do cop shit. They were wanting to sit there and, you know, they don't want to be the next lawsuit. They don't want to be the next person on CNN. Um, but when you had a cop that would that would want to stop cars or investigate stuff or, you know, do foot patrols during shitty hours of the night, like those are the people that you want on your on your team or on your shift. It's not the ones that are going to sit there with their vest off, chilling while everybody else is doing all the work. You know, and this is probably a terrible analogy, but I'm the king of those. You know, you look at like what happened after Ferguson and then, you know, George Floyd and all that stuff. And people didn't want to be the next lawsuit, right? And it's like, you know, you got a quarterback and the offensive line sucks. Quarterback is going to fucking get rid of that fucking ball way quicker than they should or do some goofy ass shit because they're afraid of getting hit. And that, you know, you have a lot of cops that are, you know, reactive instead of proactive because right. of because of all this. And, and now people are like, they wonder why, right? They wonder why they, well, this is why. Because people are like, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, like I, and I, I get it. You know, like I got a wife and kids and it's like, well, you know, I, I like my house. I like our stuff. I'd like, I'd like to not live in a jail. Uh, I'd like to not be gay for the stay. You know, I'd like to <laughs> not have like my entertainment be like looking at dongs, you know? Right. I, I, I like my life. And so I, I think a lot of guys were like, no, they <laughs> fuck Hey, fuck it anywhere more. You don't want us to be cops and you go fuck yourself. We're not going to be cops, but I don't know. I, I, I've talked about this quite a bit lately, but just kind of reminiscing about like the old times, man, like, holy fuck, did we do some good work? And it was so much fucking fun. It was so much fucking fun. And now there's just a shell a shell of what it used to be. Right. Well, and I think too, like, you know, there would be times, especially at the smaller university where, like the senior guy, if you want to know where to sit to where nobody will ever find you, no matter how hard they're looking, uh, you you ask one of those guys, like, where do I go? And they will give you the best places either on campus or just off campus that, that you'll, you'll be like, oh, my God, like, why didn't I think to look there? Um, but then again, like, you know, on, on times where it wasn't parking lot and chill, uh, you know, those were the guys that you could also have the most fun with. But I think that where they were so close to retirement, you know, within that five to 10 year span of like, I can chill and ride this out for the next couple of years. You know, that that's what really hindered, you know, all the, all the passing of knowledge and experience uh, and the way to handle calls and talk to people. And, and I really think that, you know, you really learn a lot from, from the more senior guys or the guys that have been doing it for, you know, 15 or 20 years that are just riding it out for that last little bit of like how to do police work. And especially during Baloney, you know, they've kind of forgot their ways. They're, they're, they're already on that downhill climb of, you know, I'm, I'm this close to retirement. Like 
you know, I can tell you how to talk to people. I can tell you how to CIT the fuck out of somebody. But to me, it's it's more worth it to just chill so I can get my retirement. And, and yeah. I think that, that that hurt a lot of newer cops. Oh, yeah. I, I've We talked about it on a, a recent prior podcast. It's kind of like the lost generation, man. And there's just there's things that are that were learned that aren't being passed down, you know, like they used to like, I, you know, like I remember seeing a thing even as like a seven, eight year cop where one of the senior dudes, you know, pull a cigarette out of his war bag. He didn't smoke, but he had a fucking pack of smokes, you know, for certain situations where he could, you know, give somebody a cigarette, have him, you know, calm him down, you know, shit like right. that. A, a lot, you know, that's not fucking anything you'd learn in the Academy, you know, stuff like that street, smart street wise things you know not like the stereotypical like i'm you know i'm a big bad street cop and i you know like we're called the other type of calls right being able to calm people down and talk to people and all that stuff and different tricks and trades it's just it's gone you know a lot of those dudes aren't passing it along or they've left or you know like guys about my time on i i think a lot of them moved on and i there's going to be kind of a lost generation and there's going to be a a skip of knowledge and then you know i i don't want to always shit on the new people i certainly seem like i do all the time uh i know you know i've talked to a few on this podcast that i think highly of and you know like we had that young kid down from florida that like started like like yeah, a young like, dude i think it was like the yeah. first dude like i think he was a basically a teenager still you know that dude had a good fucking head on his shoulders and i think is a probably a great fucking cop um but then you have some kids that aren't man that just aren't aren't ready man aren't mature enough and, and we're kind of throwing them to the wolves you know you brought up the life experience thing man i i think that is absolutely huge to have lived your life a little bit before you throw on a badge and a gun and think you can be a cop you know right. um this is a weird analogy the king of weird analogies you're familiar with the uh this Johnny Cash song. Um I, I don't know if I know the title of the song, but he talks about don't bring your, your guns to town. You ever heard that one? No, I don't think so. Oh, what the fuck's wrong with you, man? <laughs> um I'm with but, you. Uh, I know, but I mean it's Johnny Cash, man. Uh, I'm Googling uh, it. <laughs> yeah, check it out. It's a good song, but you know, he talks about in that song about like, you know, this this young kid. And, you know, trying to be a badass and brings his guns to town, says the wrong thing, the wrong person gets fucking smoked. Smoked, yeah. Um, which is which is the point of the song. Now, I'm not saying like you're going to say, the, you know, the wrong thing to the wrong person, you're going to get smoked. But it, I think it's like a good analogy about like, you know, you're gung ho, you're ready to go. You have no life experience and you're just fucking diving into something that you don't understand. Well, see, and that's where I'm I'm totally on board for like. You know, I don't think you talked about it in like previous podcasts about working in jails before you go to the road. And I, I truly 100% believe that that definitely gives you a chance to learn how to talk to people. And, you know, because we would have age ranges from 18 all the way to like 91, where, you know, I'm probably not going to talk to my 91 year old inmate. The same way that I'm going to talk to my 18, but I'm not going to talk to my 18 the same way that I talk to my 37 year old inmate, you know, it, and I think that working in a jail and just having that kind of that melting pot of, you know, it doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're male. It doesn't matter if you're female, like you're going to learn how to talk to people on different levels. 
and in the same way kind of applied towards the college experience was you know i'm not going to talk to the students the same way that i'm going to talk to the staff and i'm not going to talk to the staff the same way that i'm going to talk to the maintenance workers and i'm not going to talk to them the same way that i'm going to talk to the vps and president you know and, and it kind of gives you that well-rounded ability to be able to talk to people on different levels and sound professional uh but also personable um while talking you know it, it really doesn't matter who you're talking to but finding kind of that middle ground of like your style of communication towards them yeah i agree you know it, it's something we've talked about a lot and people probably get kind of maybe bored of talking about it i don't know i just i think it's so huge you know it's it's not something you think about a whole lot when you think of policing but holy fuck your ability to communicate really has a huge, um, uh, <laughs> I, I can't, there's the, the humor is not lost on me that I, I lost track of what I was saying with my ability to communicate. Um, but you know, it has a, a huge uh, effect on how you do the job is how you talk. I mean, the guys that are the best talkers, they have a, generally some pretty good fucking catches, solve a lot of crime and, uh, you know, people like them, you know, and, and I, right. I think he, that old school thing, you know, you catch more flies with honey kind of thing. Like I, I, am not going to bring up the video. Um, but I, I, I there was a video I watched is a you know, traffic stop lady was going ridiculously fast for what it was. And like, you know, like, I watched how the cop interacted with this girl and I'm like, yeah, I get it. She's going fast. She needs a ticket, you know, but the Billy badass thing. And I was just like, what are we doing, man? Like you could, there's a better at least for me and maybe i've gone soft i don't know i i think there's a, a better way to approach some things with people with you know still putting the hammer down maybe it's just me but you know i don't know well, but, I, and i don't think that it's that you've gone soft but i think that your experience over there because I, I think that we've been in law enforcement about the same amount of time from the time that you started and the time that i started even though you're significantly older than i am um, will you stop calling me old dude <laughs> I don't think I'm that much, that much older than you. Probably. But, but I think that, you know, just having that, that experience of like, we've been doing this for a little while. We know what's, what's acceptable and what's appropriate when it's appropriate. And, and I don't think that like the generation now of cops we're getting, especially during the whole baloney time, of you know that's when they were in college or in high school like you know i noticed it especially at my bigger agency that was a campus um you know i was used to kids running in and out of dorm rooms and chit-chatting with each other and then it it turns into like we're snapchatting chatting each other and then you know we're, we're texting each other and we're sitting in the same room and it's like you know we would go to calls where somebody would have their laundry stolen it's like well did you try talking to them they're like well no i try to hit them up on snapchat and i'm like well no like let's try talking to them first let's not have our ra talk to them let's not have our parents call their parents like let's be human beings and you talk to them one-on-one -on -one, like hey did you fuck with my laundry and, and 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 really get those people skills back together but i think that the whole time of baloney really screwed how that generation 
communicates to one another. And, you know, like I'm, I'm a huge fan of technology and I think that it does wonders for us in law enforcement. But I think that it hinders us as, as, as like citizens and people of society to where it's it's teaching us that we're, we don't have to communicate with one another like we had to back in the 90s or the 2000s. Um, and it's really hurting us as a society. So speaking of communication, I got this text message from my uh, my oldest today. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. And when I say today, I mean like during this podcast. <laughs> hey, dude, can I have 20 U.S. dollars for being a good American citizen? He just wants to get 20 bucks. That's how he asked me. <laughs> it was pretty funny, so I, I might let him have the money. Actually, should probably make check my bank account and make sure I can pay my kid <laughs> off. But <laughs> yeah, kids these days. You should days. find a way to send it to him like crypto to where he has oh, to yeah. download other apps in order to transfer the money. <laughs> that would be fucking classic. So uh we've kind of we've hit this pretty good. I, I want to spend some time a little bit talking about your your transition. Not that transition, we're not that podcast, but <laughs> your transition from being a uh a, a cop at a college campus to you know uh i don't know if I'm saying a normal police department yeah, but like, you know a, a more traditional police department did you immediately go over there as a sergeant or did you work as a no an officer so first? i i started as an officer um my field training because while there are some differences between like campus law enforcement and like working for a locality um it's all generally the same. You know, I've answered domestics. I've answered shopliftings. I've answered, you know, your random ass citizen complaint. Um, so it, it's all, it's all about how you can relate your experiences in the past to what you're dealing with in the current future or in the future. Um, so while, you know, we didn't have a Walmart on any of my campuses, you know, it's the same thing as somebody shoplifting from a bookstore. Um, you know, it, it, generally speaking, there wasn't a whole lot of differences. Um, the shopliftings were definitely one. Uh, domestics kind of hit or miss as far as like, you know, what happened on campus or, you know, we would have jurisdiction like slightly off campus as well um, or anything concurrent or adjacent to. Um, so, you know, going to a domestic, it wasn't my first time. Um you know, DUIs, same way. Uh, so there, there really wasn't a whole lot of difference, but it's all about how you were able to tie your previous experience into your current experience. Um, you know, for me, going from the smaller university to the bigger university was a huge step. But going from the bigger university to a town really wasn't that, that much of a difference at all. Um you know, I was on a kind of like a mid shift when I first got to the town. And so it was like the busy time of the end of the days and the beginning of the nights. Um, shortly after getting to the town and getting off field training, um, I went to the, to an SRO position, uh, which I think was, probably the best experience I've ever had 
um, in law enforcement. Uh, We're going to have to dive into that, but go on. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so while I was in the schools, we had a supervisor, a sergeant position come open um, and I applied for it. Uh, you know, at this point, I've had close to 10 years of law enforcement, whether it be in the jail or on the road at a campus uh, experience. Um, so I pretty much just put in for it, um, expecting them to tell me no and give me another letter that I can add to my no file. Um <laughs> And then somehow got it. Nice. Uh, so, uh, and, you know, in that transition from switching to a town to an SRO and then to a supervisor, um, I, I really don't think it was that huge of a transition. Um, I think a lot of it just kind of depends on, like, you know, what your thought process is on stuff. And I think that the campus kind of helped on that. Because it's like, you know, what's a big deal and what's a little deal? Um, it's a lot of that same stuff I was dealing with in the school with with kids um, and explaining to them, like, you know, like, is this a big deal or is it a little deal? Uh, just And just ha- kind of having that common sense approach to it. So you, you said that that was the best thing for your career. Or maybe I misquoted you already. That was 30 seconds ago. But uh, – <laughs> Tell us about your SRO experience and why you liked it so much. Yeah, so doing the SRO thing, um, you know, I I feel like before I went to that, I was kind of at the verge of like, I'm burnt out. And while, you know, the new change was a good change um, and I was enjoying what I was doing, uh, like I mentioned before, those days of like, man, I really made a positive impact. Uh, I changed somebody's life for the good, um, you know, today was a really good day uh those days came kind of far and few between um but when i got to the school and and especially dealing with with younger kids it was like you were getting more of those instant gratification days where like you know i made a change in this kid's life you know what i did today no matter how minuscule made a change on one of the kids um so it, it was more rewarding, I think, than being on the road and dealing with Methany for the 17th time uh, within the week, you know, uh, seeing the different behaviors change because, you know, they, they want to listen to you because you're the SRO. They want to listen to you because you're a good role model. They want to listen to you because you've taken time to get to know them personally. And, you know, like, I would say probably 95% of the kids at the school. Um, I got to know their names and at least something about them. Um, and so, you know, I, I was a positive influence. Um, you could see a change in behaviors between the kids. Um, you know, you would have family members or even people in the community. Like you would be at Walmart and they're like, hey, are you officer so-and-so? And they're like, well, yeah. Like, I have no idea. Are you who you Officer are. Dixon the ass? Yeah. Are you Officer Dixon the ass? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. You know, like, and they're like, oh my God, my kid talks about you all the time. Uh, you know, I had uh, a family that I, uh, my mom and dad that I had arrested for five felony child neglect on like five different counts. And they're like, you know, when I arrested them, they, they said, thank you. You know, like, my kids talk about you all the time. Like you have been such a good influence. And I'm like, that's really hard to hear 
when I'm getting ready to take you to jail, you know, but it's also one of those things where it's like, you see the impact that you're making, whether you know it or not, because you think you're just playing and doing, doing fun stuff. But what it does for the kids at that time is it's so much more than just, you know, playing dodgeball or eating lunch or, you know, pulling a kid to do something uh, around the school with you. You know, it, it's, it seems so minuscule to you, but it means so much to them. And so I think that like, that was very rewarding for, you know, your heart and soul uh, and kind of give you that life back. And like, this is why I'm doing this. Man. I don't know how we talked about fucking chicks with dicks. And then we had this like <laughs> heartfelt conversation about like kids. Um, that's, that's cool, man. I, I like that. Uh, you know, you, you said it pretty eloquently, um, but you, you brought up like the whole methany thing. And, and while we're giving advice to young cops, which we, we shouldn't do, you know, more often than not, you know, your frequent flyers, victim today, suspect tomorrow. Right. Those those calls where you actually help somebody, and maybe I'm just being a jaded piece of shit, but those calls, those calls are so infrequent and so far and in between. A lot of the calls are just dealing with the same assholes over and over again. You know, they, they throw out some stat about like, you know, you, you deal with, you know, 10% of the population, 90% of the time or something, whatever it is, right? I don't know exactly what it is, but it's true. The, the fake stat, or not the fake stat, but the stat I can't quote. It's true. Um, you do. Like, you see a lot of the same people over and over again. You know, even in the area I work, that was, you know, pretty decently sized. I dealt with a lot of the same people frequently, or I was like, oh, I remember this name because my buddy dealt with you two weeks ago. It's It's a lot of the same people are causing problems. And sometimes you can have an influence on those people sometimes, but it's pretty tough. Yeah. And so that's, that's, I guess just a little thing for, you know, people thinking about, you know, getting into the job is yes, it is rewarding. Sometimes, you know, the best is like when you think as a new guy, you help somebody and you know, hopefully made them turn the corner. And then when you have to arrest them in a week and you're like, Oh, that was a lesson. Damn. Well, I mean, even at my little campus, uh, you know, I had arrested a guy for position with intent to distribute and, you know, I took him to jail and I'm, I'm sure he bonded out. Um, but once we got through the court process and he came to turn himself in, you know, he come down to the police department and he was like, you know, I, I'm here to turn myself in and I want to thank you. He's like, you know, you, you saved my life. He's like, I, I realized that I was heading down the wrong path and, you know, I, what I was doing was, was not right for me. It was not right for God, you know? And I was like, who the hell are you? You know, <laughs> the same, the same guy that I was dealing with, you know, just a couple months ago, like you're not him. And, you know, even after he got out of, out of jail, I don't think he got that much time, you know, like he would, he would go out of his way to come up to me and be like, Hey, you know, do you remember me? And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I remember you, uh, you know, and he's like, well, just to let you know, like I'm going to community college now, like I'm doing good for myself. Like, and I appreciate you arresting me that day. 
you know, I, I appreciate you, you know, getting charges on me. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I never expected any of that. But, you know, it was definitely goes to show, like, that was one of those days where, you know, like, you made you made a difference on somebody's life. And, you know, they were able to realize, like, what you were doing in that in that time was something to benefit them and not just to, to hit him with another charge. Like, I think he was ready for a change. And I think that that's all it took was to push him to, like, the point of, like, oh, crap, like, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, I, I liked what you said there about, you know, doing it for them. It's not, you know, we talk a lot and, and rightfully so about, you know, this, you know, for vi- for the victims, the true victims. Well, sometimes, you know, sometimes these crimes are quote unquote victimless. And, and let's be honest, there's sometimes where, you know, a burglar is a good example, right? Like dumb kid breaking into houses, maybe getting caught. They're like, all right, this is dumb, you know, because here's the thing they're probably just going to get their pee pee slapped uh, the way the system is right now. Like a kid burglarizing houses, nothing drove me nuts. Then we'd have these fucking string of burglaries. Detectives would do an awesome job fucking figuring out who they were, put a case on them and the kids, nothing, nothing happened to the kids. Um, But let's be honest. You break into the wrong house. You're not coming out. Right. You are not fucking coming out. And I think that's something where, you know, if if you look at it from the aspect of like, well, hopefully I'm helping this young person not be unalive and make better life choices. You know, a lot of what we do is, is kind of how you interpret it and what you make of it. And don't get me wrong. I I'm, I've been very shitty and jaded and looked at things all the wrong way for portions of my career, for sure. But, you know, positive, a positive mental attitude is uh, something I heard in the academy from one of the instructors that I fucking hated. But he was right. <laughs> he was right because having a positive attitude about things and, you know, that, that old Obi-Wan Kenobi quote, well, from a certain point of view, the way you look at things determines a, a lot of uh, how well things are going to go for you. You know, you could look at it as like, oh, this is fucking stupid. Or, hey, you know what? This is going to help somebody. It's all about how you look look at it. Right. Well, and I think, too, like, with so much negativity in law enforcement, like, you've got to, you, you have to have a positive attitude. And, you know, what you do in that moment, like, that's the only thing that you can control. You know, you, you don't know. You can't determine what the outcome of is, it, like, what, what the outcome is going to be in court. You can't determine how much time they get or whether they get super secret squirrel probation. You know, you can only do what you can do in that moment. And the rest is up to, you know, either your offender or it's up to the courts or it's up to the Commonwealth or, you know, whoever it may be. And so, you know, and and that's one thing that that I try to emphasize, you know, especially now as a supervisor is like you control what you control and that's it, you know if you get the DUI driver off, off the road for that night and it gets dismissed or pled down to reckless driving, then so be it. You know, it's, it's not that big of a deal, but what the big deal is, is what, what action you took in that moment. 
you know, and I know I've told this one, but I, I think it, it relates to this, uh, a supervisor that I really liked, you know, he was real big on, you know, control what you can control, like what we're talking about, but think about like your circle of influence, right? Like we're talking about like a, a little ways back here. We're talking about the young guys not having, you know, the senior guys to look up to and to get, you know, information from, but the way you conduct yourself, you know, people are watching, right. And that could, that could be anybody, but for this circumstance, we're going to, or, or for this example, we're going to, we're going to talk about other cops. You know, the young guys are going to say, Hey, this, this dude, like he fucking goes, puts his head down, fucking works hard. You know, he does a good job. He, you know, he helps us out with paper. He does all these good things. Now, potentially they could take advantage of that and be like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to have him write this report for me. Or maybe they're like, Hey, that's cool. I'm going to do that for people if they need help. You know, you, you know, we don't, we don't, everybody doesn't have to like scream from the rooftop tops about how to do things like I do, which take everything I say with a grain of salt. Cause I'm a fucking dumbass. But if you don't want to be like a, an outspoken leader, lead by example. Like a, a probably I, I know I'm gonna mispronounce this word, but cliche. Um, no, you did good. I did it. Thank God. Um, <laughs> thank God I it did it. Everybody, other. <laughs> other. It's all, that's a hard one for me still. I, I have to like <laughs> stop before I say other. Oh, there it was. Dropped an otter bomb. Um, you. By the way, unrelated. Uh, you poor soul. He's a. I said he was a first time, long time. He he'd been listening. You said since day one, huh? Since day one, yep. Oh, so you, there was man, plenty of so otters bad. everywhere. Yeah, lots of ums. I I was editing. <laughs> I didn't really edit the New Year's Eve one, and I drank a little bit. There was a the um monster came out big time on that one. That's a hard time. That was a hard one to fight too. Um, <laughs> um, but I kind of getting back to that again. that that. <laughs> that circle of uh, influence though like you know lead by example it's it's something you can do and you know and this relates to a lot of other stuff but you know doing good work just make it a habit right. you know don't don't fucking cut corners you know all that stuff you know work work smarter not harder i, I mean like there there's appropriate corners to cut and i think we all you know wherever you work you know what that is but do good fucking work. People will see that and people will respect that. And hopefully you'll have people within your little click be like, Hey, that, you know, that's, we should do that. That's smart. I should do that. Right. You know? And that's how good policing takes over is, you know, being the best influence you can. Right. Like, cause there, we all know there's times where you want to just fucking jack off. Well, not that kind of jack off, but you want to, <laughs> there's something else you want to do you don't want to put your full ass into it and you cut a corner. People see that, right? Whoever approves your report is going to see that courts are going to see that, you know, everybody sees it. Right. Don't just, just do the right thing every single time. You'll, you'll never have a problem. I agree. I mean, I mean it's not lie. necessarily yeah. true. There's been some dudes. Yeah. I got in trouble <laughs> for doing the right thing, but I mean, there's been at least twice this week where I've told them that, yeah, just come in Monday through Friday from like seven to three and there will be somebody at the PD to help you. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, they could have come in right then and now um, or we could have taken it, but. Oh, boy, the blue falconing. All right. 
They shift it and do anything anyway. Are you ready to get in into the segment that everybody loves and adores? My dumb question. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so uh, a couple quick kick. Oh my god, I, give me a little bit of alcohol. I cannot fucking talk. <laughs> Not that much, dude. My tolerance is low. Apparently, I'm actually I'm tired. It's been a long day, and I got. Um, not that anybody cares about me, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get ahead on podcasts. I got a big family trip coming up. I've been busy getting ready for that. So, um, I'm, I'm just a little worn out, a little tired, but that's okay. I'm here for you guys. I do this for you. Thank me for my service. I don't, I don't do it for me. I do it for you. Um, a couple quick housekeeping things, um, because of that trip coming up, I'm not going to do an office of the podcast and have them super delayed on getting a patch more than they already are. Cause I'm shitty at checking my emails. So I've got a couple of those. Please send them in. We got a couple to make it survive a little bit longer, but I, um, I'm kind of getting low on the patches. So it's going to be decision time if we're going to keep it going. So if you guys want to see it, keep going, you know, nominate people that are doing good work. Obviously big thanks. Uh, ghost patch for making the patches. Um, and obviously they have a, a big part in my, my world because, you know, the coins and patches and stuff is awesome. You know, we've come up with a lot of cool stuff and you guys have supported that, which is awesome. And I, I like a lot of what they do. They got some fucking awesome stuff that I have nothing to do with. And then, you know, they got their flex shields and stuff too. It's a small law enforcement owned company. So make sure you're checking out and supporting ghost patch. Um, before we get to the dumb questions. Soapbox time. Is there anything you want to rant about without judgment or maybe some judgment? I want to rant about like the whole high school with guns. Okay. Like we're all professionals. Why are we you sure about doing... that? No, I'm not sure about that. You're okay. correct. But why are we not building each other up? Like there's so much shit talking that goes on behind everybody's back. Like, I, I get that each department has their own cliques and there are going to be people that fit in better and people that don't fit in at all. But why are we not building each other up and talking about the pros instead of the cons all the time? You know, there are people that I've worked with and people that I, that I work with now that, you know, I, I don't much care for, but in a professional setting, we really need to be focused on like trying to build our dudes up or chicks up, you know, like not, not bashing them, not talking shit behind their back. You know, if you can't say it to their face, don't say it at all. Just, you know, put on your professional hat for two seconds. And, you know, when you get home, you can tell your spouse or your girlfriend or whoever about, you know, the bullshit that you've had to endure with working with whoever. I, you know, that's one thing that irks the shit out of me is talking shit behind people's back. If you're going to say it, say it to their face, say it in front of them, flip them the bird in front of their face, but don't, don't go and do that behind their back. And that is my soapbox. <laughs> I like that. I have several, I have several, you've created several side rants that I have to go on. <laughs> Send it. Uh, okay. By the way, another, uh, unrelated rant I a while back I talked on the podcast about um you know maybe doing a little bit different on the podcast 
as far as like, you know, maybe doing some like news stories and reading comments and stuff. I really like the rants. Rants are good. I want to maybe yeah. make, you know, a little more rant centric. You guys let me know what you think. Um, and I'll see it in like four weeks when this podcast comes out. But I had a sergeant, uh, when, actually when I was in FTO, which I liked. And I don't know if he just did this because he knew there was recruits in the briefing. But somebody was talking shit about somebody else. And the sergeant goes, is he here? No. Okay. Then shut the fuck up. <laughs> we can talk to him about it. We're not going to do this shit talking behind his back. And I was like, that's fucking cool, man. Now, that was the only time I ever saw that in my entire policing career. Um, but I thought that was cool. And that always kind of stuck with me. Um, and, and I'll be honest, man, I'm not. I'm not perfect about it. I've probably done it on this podcast. You know, it's something I could get better at, but you're absolutely right about not building people up. And I don't know. I've really been thinking about this a lot lately, you know, and I, I know I brought it up before, but this whole, like this idea of people want the police department to represent the rest of society or their community. And, you know, I think people usually make that like a racial thing or a you know xyz whatever it is right but i kind of look at it is like it kind of is i feel like a lot of police departments are a reflection of the community and the society and you know a lot of these issues that we're talking about you know the the shit talking the whatever it exists in every facet of society you know and we're expected to be better, and I understand that. I don't think that's unfair, but but to what extent? You know, and I, I'm obviously not advocating like, hey, everybody else does it, we should do it. I mean, that's not what I'm saying here, but I'm just I'm pointing out the mere fact that I, I think as a society we have some big fucking uh, morality issues going on right now, and no one knows, you know, up and down, left and right, the rules are changing, the goalposts are changing everywhere. And I think human beings right now are, uh, I don't know the best way to articulate this, but we're not, we're not at our peak form. Uh, we are not at a, our peak form as, as humans right now. And I think police departments are a reflection of that. You know, look online, every, everything is shit talking. Everything is shit talking. Go to any fucking reel. There's somebody talking shit about whatever it is. I I just feel like that is just, part of our our culture is that negativity about fucking everything and dragging people down instead of building them up yeah well and i think too like you know what you have to think about as well is like when we're out here dealing with people that are having you know their worst day whether it's the first time having their worst day ever or it's their 17th worst day ever you know like body cams they are a blessing and a curse and so you know there's going to be times where we have conversations about like how fucked up a call was or how stupid somebody's acting but you also have to remember too like whatever if your body camera is on that's subject to be in court subject to be in a civil hearing um you know it's an issue that we kind of run into is, um, you know, when we're having these, I like to call them decompressing conversations. 
where, you know, you can kind of, after a call, decompress and, you know, get off your chest what you wanted to say to the person, but you didn't. Uh, but you have to be cognizant, too, of, you know, if your body camera's on and rolling, you know, talking shit about the shit, about the, about the meth head that's acting crazy, like, that's not the right time to do it. Wait until after the fact, uh, when you're not on and rolling, or, you know, just, just kind of watch what you say to people um, for the simple fact of, like, anything that you say while on body camera is subject to being court. And, you know, that could really change the verdict, whether it's a civil case or a criminal case of what actions you take or what you say um, in their hearing. I don't know if that makes sense at all. Probably not. You'll probably just cut all this out. <laughs> no, no, I hear what you're saying. I, I mean, everything um, matters, dude. Everything matters. And people, it really people does. forget about that. People forget that everything matters. You know, I, I was actually talking to my kiddo about that the other day, obviously not like a law enforcement matter, but I was like, you know, everything you do in some way has an effect on somebody else. You may not realize it, you know, and, this is kind of related, but unrelated, but, you know, I, I feel like people have kind of forgotten about that, you know, different other people exist, other people exist too, <laughs> but other people exist. And, you know, you're not in just this bubble where only you matter. And, and I, I, oh man, I could probably rant on this whole idea. Like a lot of people are kind of into like, well, me first kind of thing, which I, I I disagree with to an extent. I, I think that's where we got a lot of problems. Like I'm not saying self-care is not important and you shouldn't take care of yourself, but we've gotten so goddamn fucking selfish about our lives and, and what's important that we don't do anything for anybody else anymore. And we're only considerate of ourselves. And I I really think that is is a big problem within our world is you know, we always talk about community this and community that, but everybody's so focused on what they're fucking doing. They don't give a shit what anybody else is doing or what they can do for anyone else. And right. I think that's problematic. No, I argue with that. And, you know, there's a sense where you have to put yourself first. But, you know, and, and maybe this is a campus cop in me coming out, but you also have to think about other people and their feelings and you know just the public perception on what you say and do is 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 being judged by everybody that watches that video or whatever the news article reads and you know you have to think about that before you go on your venting session with your buddy about what happened i want to remind everybody that this podcast started talking about chicks with dicks um <laughs> Well done, man. Your your rant spawns some more rants, and I am here for it. You ready for some dumb questions? Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to lead off with this one. Again, as always, fuck you, Saul. <laughs> Dixon Diaz, do you like to go fishing? I do. I do. Um, I want to say that having kids has kind of ruined going fishing for me. <laughs> uh I, I took the kids fishing this summer. I was like, you know, this is going to be a great like bonding experience. Like just me and the boys, you know, doing some fishing. Uh, I happened to catch a crawdad and then 
my kids are like, ah, or it's like constantly fishing a damn line out of a tree. Uh, so, you know, I really enjoy that, just that me time of being able to get out on the lake and, and really get some fishing in. Um, but I also enjoy it with, you know, the kids as well. And just having them have that experience of, of getting to fish and just having I some that time. Yeah, I think that's one of those things where, like, as you you bring your kids, it's one of those you're just kind of paying the price to have fun later with them, you know? Right. You know, I I know when I go out with my oldest, it's usually a little less drama free, but he still likes to fucking put him in the trees, dude. And I'm like, how is this even possible, <laughs> man? Now, have I put him into a tree? Yeah, I have, but it's my problem, you know. Um, There's nobody to be mad at but yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. You know, you end up like my younger ones, they, you know, they can't tie anything. Right. And so you end up having to fucking, they get a snag, you got to tie it, you know, he gets caught, you got to fucking, you know, fix it. You know, I'm like, how did you, how is, how is it so fucking tangled, dude? This doesn't even make sense. Um, And every single piece of algae is a bite. And they're like reeling as hard as they can. They're like, oh, I got something, I got something, I got something. And you're like dropping everything you got. And you're like, fuck. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I like to go weedless a lot of times just to fucking avoid that. I'm putting weedless on my kids' shit most of the time. Um, what kind of what kind of fish do you like to fish for? You got a specific type you like to go after? I mean, I like bass. Um, you know, at the lake kind of near my house, we have a lot of bluegill. Um, so it makes for you know an awesome experience with the kids because they're like basically guaranteed to catch something. Uh, and then of course, you know, according to them, it's the biggest fish ever. So, you know, I, I like to say bass, but, you know, bluegill kind of play part in that, too. Well, you got to have the bluegill to have the bass, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, you know, I, you know, bass is, you know, my my thing. You know, it's going to be kind of interesting. So I'm taking this trip through the south, and I'm going to bring some fishing poles just for shits and giggles. But I'm like, I think it's just too fucking cold now anywhere, anywhere you go. Yeah. Too fucking deep to do any shore fishing, but we'll see. Well, and you have my, to worry too goal, about the rabbit rangers and the trout troopers and Well, I'll <laughs> I'm gonna buy a license. You know, I was telling my wife, so I'm like, I'm not gonna fucking buy a license for two hours of fishing. She's like, right. Yeah, but then with your luck, they're gonna fucking come. And I'm like, Yeah, you're right. So I'm gonna I'm probably gonna drop like a thousand dollars to catch no fish, you know, because I'm gonna right. get a license every state I go through, but we'll see. My goal on the trip is to uh is to catch one fish somewhere i don't know where on fish um would you do it all over again would you have uh picked a policing career with chicks with dicks and all kinds of other that other stuff or would you have done something else you know i ask myself that question a lot and the answer is yes every single day you know even though those days that you know you feel like you actually made an impact on somebody's life like never happen absolutely 100 percent um, you know, I, I do this, I don't want my kids to do it. Um, but it truly is the, the ticket to the greatest show on earth. You know, you, it's, it's like watching an episode of Jerry Springer every single day. Um, you know, I can't imagine sitting in an office for eight hours a day. Um, you know, if I had the chance to go back in time and do it all over, absolutely. 100%. What are you going to do when you retire? You got big retirement plans? Probably just travel. Um, 
you know, for our, my wife and I's anniversary or even our honeymoon, um, we did a cruise and, you know, I, when we went on our honeymoon, there was this like 87 year old guy that had like huge nuts and we called him dinosaur eggs. Uh, the dude looked like a billfold. He was so tan. Uh, and I want that to be me. You know, I want to be able to travel. <laughs> um, one of the things, you know, it, this has kind of been like a recent podcast of yours, uh, is about like retirement planning. Um, and that's something that I've taken serious since like day one. Um, it's like, you know, every time that I've switched jobs, you know, my, my last meeting that I have is with, with HR and like a retirement specialist, um, to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm a putting enough money in, um, and B, you know, like when I'm ready to retire, when my time comes, like I'm done, I don't have to worry about money. Um, my wife didn't have to worry. We're just, we're on the same page as far as like, you know, we had kids early, let's get it done. Then that way, when our time rolls around, like we can live it up and enjoy our time being retired. You know, I, you know, it's kind of funny. It's that time of year, right? Like new year, new me, my new year's resolutions and shit. I I think what I really want to do this year is like really pay more attention to the stock market and not like meme stocks because that didn't work out so well. Yeah, My Dogecoin and AMC are not really... I'm not retired yet, so that's probably not going to work out so well, and I'm probably going to get fucking killed on that shit. But paying attention to that shit is like my my goal next year. You know, I got a big year. I don't know how much stuff I'll be able to set aside, but I want to start trying to set you know some aside and really start hammering on that stuff. So, um, rookie mistake. What is the stupidest thing you ever did as a rookie? Oh Lord, this one's gonna dox me for sure. Um, well, I don't want to dox you, man. I don't want to. Well, it only dox me to just a handful of people. Okay. Um, and it wasn't really like I wasn't like a rookie, rookie, but I was a rookie at my bigger agency. Yeah. Um, I had been there for probably four or five months. Um, we had a batch of new guys that were just kind of hanging out before they went to Academy. Um, so, you know, me being the jokester that I am, uh, you know, I would generally like fuck with them. Well, one day after we got done with roll call, I went in the locker room and noticed that like everything was in my buck boots. My hoodie sleeves were tied up into knots and like they had shoved like all sorts of shit down on my hoodie. And so, I was like, I was like, well, you know, how am I going to get them back? Well, we had come back to the PD and I'd seen one of them that was doing his weekend investigations. And I was like, ah, I'm going to get him. And he was standing there at the lieutenant's door, kind of with his arm up on the door. Um, so I sneak up on him and I grab his arm and I twist it up behind his back. And as I look into the office, it's the deputy chief, the lieutenant, and the threat assessment team coordinator sitting in the office and the new guy had turned around like, what the hell is going on? And I realized it wasn't the new guy. It was actually our vice president that was over the whole police department and security. <laughs> uh, it just so happened to be wearing khakis and a button up shirt. 
And I was like, fuck, <laughs> like, this is it. Like, I'm done. You know, I, I hadn't been there very long. I, I called my friend at, at my old department. I was like, I'm going to need my job back there. Like, if you could just start working on that. Uh, actually, just put the vice president's arm up behind his back. Uh, <laughs> the face the face of the lieutenant and the deputy chief and the threat assessment team coordinator, team coordinator was like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh so that was definitely probably my biggest rookie mistake even though i'd already been in it for uh a solid seven years how did you how'd you get yourself out of that how'd you explain yourself uh i run away saying that my name was another officer that worked at the department uh and then (laughs) (laughs) and then a couple hours later I, i went up to his office and was like hey i just want to apologize like this is what i walked into this morning uh after roll call uh to be fair, you're wearing the same thing as what the other new guy was wearing. Uh, and I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, luckily for me, you know, he was, he was a deputy chief uh, before he got promoted to the, to the vice president position. Uh, so I think he kind of lost that sense of like feeling like one of the guys. Um, but I was definitely, you know, my, my asshole was definitely puckered on that. <laughs> That's awesome. So if you are an FTO or were to be an FTO, what is the lesson you'd like to pass along to the new guys? Uh, I think definitely communication, you know, just being able to be fluid and, and, and being able to talk to people in different styles, um, you know, knowing what to say and when to say it. Um, I think that that's definitely key, you know, no matter what part of your career that you're in, whether it's the beginning or the end. Um, but just being able to relate to people and, and, you know, having a story for everything, uh, to be able to build that rapport quickly. Um, because generally if you can talk to somebody, you can talk your way in or out of every situation. What is the most embarrassing moment of your life? I would say, I would say probably that story with the, with the vice president. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, that was the wrong dude. I, I had, you know, before that, like my 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 most embarrassing, like high ranking individual was uh, helping a lieutenant shovel off a car when snow hit, and when I pushed snow across the top of the car, he just happened to stand up and he was right there. I got a face <laughs> full of snow. Uh, but I think that one definitely takes the cake. It's twisting up the wrong dude. <laughs> Do you have a uh, dildo story at work, obviously? Yeah. So when I worked at my first college, uh, lead was, weed was still illegal. Um, we got a call for the odor of marijuana to this girl's dorm room. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Officer Dixon Diaz. Like, you know, is there anything <laughs> in the room? And she's like, no, nah, we smoked a blunt. Like, you know, we don't have anything. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, do you care if I search? And she said, no, you know, go right ahead. And, you know, like 95% of the bowls that we deal with are like a little brownish multicolored uh, bowl. Um, so I'm searching through this girl's stuff and, you know, I get to her underwear drawer and I see the, that same that same color pattern. And I'm like, aha, what is this? And I hold it up and realize that it's like a two inch dildo or like vibrator. Uh, and she's like, um, that's my vibrator. <laughs> 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 I was like. 
oh no i've made quite the mistake uh <laughs> i'll just put that back in here and i'll be on my way do you have a favorite dead guy call hmm. now i, I was gonna say you spent a lot of time at like a campus that might not be so it might be more tragic than funny but yeah so we had a guy that had jumped off a bridge um it's it's one of the higher bridges in the uh in the state that i live in um i think the fall was about six seconds um it was my first suicide at this at this college um so you know i i get there uh you know it's early in the morning we're investigating it um well, as the day moves on and it starts to get a little warmer, uh, <laughs> the the vultures start to move in. Oh, no. <laughs> a little closer and closer. And, you know, there's like brain matter everywhere and like teeth scattered everywhere. And, uh, you know, we were kind of sitting a little ways away from the body. Uh, but as the sun came out and it started baking a little bit more, these these buzzards started getting closer and closer uh to where we had to go stand damn near right next to the body to keep the birds away from from coming down and swooping up and picking up uh some brain matter and other bodily fluids i heard a story once about a a car accident where seagulls were uh removing parts of the the scene that's the thing Ugh. them fucking birds man disgusting <laughs> that right mine 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 um <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was just thinking. What is the proudest moment of your career? Um, I would have to say it was when I was in the schools. Um, and honestly, it wasn't a moment. It was just the whole year. It was the the instant gratification of like, you know, seeing the impact that you're making on the kids, and seeing what they had before as an SRO compared to what you were doing for them both emotionally uh and just and just being present and being active in their lives um you know like i said you know i had arrested parents they're like my kids talk about you all the time um so you know i would say that just that year of being in the school system and seeing what kind of impact you make on the kids lives um, was probably the proudest moment of my career now Dixon Diaz, this is an important yes. question. What is the best patrol car of all time? It has got to be the Crown Victoria. So, so when I came to my to my current agency, um, that was what I was put in. Was it was a Crown Vic? And of course, the thing sounds like it's going to lift off into outer space as soon as you hit 25 miles an hour. Uh, but it was the first agency where I had a take-home car. And the first night that I had it home, I was like, yeah, you know, this is cool. Taking a bunch of pictures in the driveway. Uh, the window motor failed on the vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm sitting out there with duct tape trying to tape my window up to make sure that no rain or anything we get inside of it. Uh, it was a total... Uh, piece, but it was definitely not fun to drive. Blasphemy, blasphemy. I, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like it, you know, it had seen its days. You its are better days news. were <laughs> probably in the <laughs> early 2000s, but it was fun to drive. You know, it was. It's. It's a piece of. 
historic police memorabilia that I can say that I got to drive for at least a little while. All right, so I'm going to pop your cherry. I got a brand spanking new question. Oh, no. That is is kind of thanks to uh to Toby as we we're discussing this in the group chat. And I've I've often pondered this myself and I'm probably going to get made fun of for what I do. So, when you're carrying off duty, like every good cop should do, mm-hmm. if you have to take a shit, where what do you do with your gun in a public bathroom? Oh, I'll let it hang. Okay. I'll let it hang. So you, uh, do you you have a inside a waistband holder? I do. I do. Okay. Um but at the same time, like I'm not gonna take it off and risk sitting it up on the toilet paper holder and then having it fall off. Um so I, you know, you might as well just let it sit near in your pants. So I let it sit too, but I'm always kind of weird. You know how people are, right? Like you know, somebody sees a gun in the bathroom and then they freak out and they panic or whatever. Um, or maybe that's a made up scenario I've made in my mind. I don't know. But what I would usually do or what I still do if I carry concealed is I would like take my underwear and like, you know, cause it's like on the side, right? You know, it's not like mm-hmm. the part of my underwear that like my ass was on and I would just basically like kind of flop it over it. Drape it over it. Yeah. Just put it over, drape it over that essentially, or like, you know, hook it under or whatever, you know, something where it wasn't, you know, getting to get caught in a trigger or something, but something that at least conceal it a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if Toby cares, but I'm going to tell he, the picture he sent us, he had his gun like, like you ever seen like a picture of like a kitten or a puppy when they come like bother you in the bathroom and they're like, you know, in your, basically in your pants, like in right. the middle of them. Yeah, that's where he had his gun sitting, which I'm like, no. I don't want my gun sitting where my gooch is, you know? Right. I think that that is bad, so uh, I don't think no. I would do that. No, I think, and you know, if somebody's got a problem with it, that's a them problem. That's not a me problem. You know, oh, no, I, to... I, I agree <laughs> with you. I agree with you, but it's just, you know how, it's to me, it's like, I don't want to fucking deal with this thing, you know what I mean? Like, right. I don't. I don't want, you know, somebody freaking out and like, you know, I got to like deal with anything. You know what I mean? To me, it's like, it's easier just to have it concealed, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, but like, I, I guess where I'm at, uh, pretty normal open carry or even concealed carrying is like pretty normal. So it's not really a huge issue. Um, but you know, as far as I'm concerned, like, I am left-handed, and so typically nobody's going to see that anyway. And who doesn't use the handicap stall is my question. That's real. I always like when a bathroom is facing, like, the appropriate way where I don't have to worry about it, like I'm at the end. Yeah. You know, that that's probably a whole mess we could get into with a handicap <laughs> stall. Um, I. It'll be interesting to see if people have different answers. I'll keep this question for a little while and see what happens. But the uh, the handicap stall, I think we should talk about the the social decorum there. I I used to always use it, and as I've gotten older, I, I've kind of felt guilty about taking it. Yeah. When I I'm not handicapped, you know. I mean, I I just because I've I, yeah, I, and I was thinking about some of the things I've said, so I'm probably a little handicapped. Um, but like, I, you know, like I, I don't have a wheelchair or whatever. 
And right. I would hate for it to just be that one time where like some dude in a wheelchair is, you know, about to shit his pants and I'm in there blowing it up where I could have taken the open stall. So I, I usually take the smaller stall now. Yeah. No, I get that. And I, but then it makes me think of, I'm, I'm sure you've seen that YouTube video or the, the real, uh, <laughs> where the guy's using the handicap stall and then sees the wheelchair roll in. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I've, you know, I've never encountered it. It's like the same thing with like, I, I was just thinking about like, I've, and maybe it's because I don't like spend a whole lot of time peeking under stalls. I've never seen anybody with a gun taking a shit. Like I've never seen yeah. it. So it's either, you know, I, I think maybe my perception of what people would see is probably off anyway. Yeah, I don't know. But I don't know. I have to like at home, you know, 45 minutes easy, but like in the middle of Walmart, like I'm in and out. It's not like I'm, you know, sitting there watching, watching reels or looking at memes well, I mean, I might. It depends. It depends, <laughs> like, what the Walmart trip is for and, like, if I'm trying yeah. to avoid my family or not. Yeah. Well, and that's okay. what, like, I was at a rest area a couple weeks ago, and a guy was straight up playing a game on his phone. Like, you could hear, like, the little coins dinging. <laughs> and and I, I wanted to be like, hey, are you winning? But, you know, I didn't. <laughs> the next question in our in our poop trifecta here. Is how do you wipe your ass? Are you sitting or standing or something? No, else sitting, that we haven't heard sitting all the okay. way. I, I think standing. You have to be a degenerate to do that. Yeah, I I completely agree. I um. I I was surrounded on a podcast recently as four to one. There was four people that were standers, and I was the lone sitter. It was fucking no. weird. But I I think that's a an an anomaly. It I don't is. think that's a normal thing. I I I'm willing to bet when I whenever I put a poll up, we're gonna have far more sitters than standers. Oh, absolutely, and it's gonna be more of leaning to one side or the other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I guarantee you, there's gonna be a handful of front to back or back to front. I'm sorry. I mean, as a dude, does it really matter though? It I mean, as long as you're not like wiping it up to your ass or to your ball sack, you know, right? You're fine. Um, I don't want to agitate the hemorrhoids. No, no. <laughs> Last but not least in our poop section, Dixon, DF, have you ever shit your pants? Yes. Do you have a and story you would like to share? I think it classifies. We, we've talked about this on other podcasts. If it touches fabric, it is considered shit in your pants, right? Yes, with the with the caveat of, you know, maybe, you know, some people have brought up to me like, well, maybe you didn't wipe well. That that wouldn't be considered shitting your yeah. pants. That would just be a, uh, a failure at wiping. So when I was at the little school, um, you know, we didn't we had pool cars where everybody shared cars. Um, so every day we would have to do a vehicle inspection to make sure that all the lights were working, all the sirens were working, there wasn't anything left. Um, so I get out to my car and I hit the lights and I leaned over and I farted and I thought, oh no, I've shit my pants. <laughs> so I turned the lights back off. I locked the car. I go waddling up the stairs into the patrol room. 
where there was the accreditation manager, the other officers, the sergeant, uh, some of the day shift admin people. And, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to waddle and not make eye contact and just walk straight back to the locker room. Um, I get back to the locker room and there stands my captain, uh, shirt off. He's shaving his head, uh, <laughs> shaving his, his face. And, you know, I'm ripping belt keepers off and, you know, he's got his shirt and everything kind of like laid out over the bench. So I open up my locker and just start throwing stuff in there. And he laughs and he's like, Dixon, you know, like I can grow hair everywhere but my head and chuckles. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I just had a catastrophe, I think, in my pants. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm throwing everything in my locker and, you know, there's no divide. Like it's it's just like a stall with a door and the walls, uh, the sink, and then like a shower area. And then all the lockers with like a small bench that kind of separates everything. And I'm throwing everything in my locker, uh, trying to get everything off as fast as I can. And I get into the stall and barely get the door locked, get my pants down and just unleash a holy hell. And the only thing that I can see through the crack of the door is my captain <laughs> throwing his shirt over the side of his shoulder and walking out, shaking his head. Ah. <laughs> uh, but yes, there was a, a teeny tiny little bit of liquid touching uh, cotton. And uh, that's probably my funniest shit my pants story. <laughs> well done. Well, buddy, um, we've we've been everywhere. This has been an emotional roller coaster from <laughs> really serious advice to chicks from dicks to uh, seeing giant cocks. A little bit of everything. A lot of a lot of wiener talk this episode. Do you have any words of wiener? I mean, words of wisdom <laughs> for the millions of listeners out there. Uh, my words of wisdom are: just remember that you can only control what you can control, whether it's in court or on the road or in the jail or in your personal life. Like, if you can't control it, there's no need to stress about it. Everything will end up working out the way it's supposed to in the end. But in that present time, just work on controlling what you can control. And I know that that's been said on the podcast before, but it's words that I live by every day. It's words that I tell people every day. Um, but there's no need to, to get down or worry about stuff that's out of your control. Well said, man. Well, you guys know what to do. Please take a look and check out the fine, fine sponsors of this podcast, because without them... We couldn't talk about we couldn't talk about uh, all the strange shit that comes up twice a week. And uh, make sure you guys are checking out my merch, uh, my Teespring store for the the time being. That might be getting axed for something different. I'll let you know. And uh, Ghost Batch obviously is the home of all your poorly made PM PM coins and patches and all that good shit. With that said, remember. The guy with fake tits has a bigger dick than me. And I love most of you. Bye bye.
All right, you're getting a special bonus because this motherfucker just told me something <laughs> hilarious after we started recording uh, or stopped recording. So here's your bonus. Tell the story. So instead of chicks with dicks, it's our dude with tits. Uh, when he was a trustee, he would let other inmates beat off to his big gigantic titties for a honey bun. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how he ended up getting fired from trustee. <laughs> Oh, God bless America. All right. I love most of you. Bye-bye.